Well, good morning, everybody. Um, be seated. Thank you. <laughs> Self-defense there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I want to open up this morning by wishing my daughter, Jennifer, a very happy 38th birthday. Uh, Jen, I love you. I hope you have a great day, and we'll be talking later. So glad you're online and listening with us, and be blessed. Um, Pastor, thank you very much um, for sharing this platform with me. It's an honor. It's a privilege, and I never take it lightly. Um, uh, regardless of what the outcome is, I never take it lightly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was thinking this morning that God works in such mysterious ways because in the Bible, in Mark 16, 15, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And every time I've looked at that, I thought, you know, it's, I actually walked away like thinking, kind of sad, thinking, well, that's never going to happen. But guess what? Here I am in Dubai, Guatemala, India, South Africa, Qatar, Japan, all across the United States, and many other places. So God works in incredibly mysterious ways. He's amazing. He's sovereign. He's a merciful God. And it's an honor and a privilege for all of us to be his children. So I want to start out by telling you last night, my wife and I attended a wedding feast in Arlington Heights, Illinois. And Eve, uh, I mean my wife, kept asking me to turn the water into wine. And so once I got past that temptation, um, we were able to enjoy uh, a great feast. It was a live um, musical band, and we uh, were able to do a few dances, very slow dances, for obvious reasons. <laughs> but we had a great time. In Luke 6, 45, it says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And while this whole week, while I was preparing this message, spending more hours than I imagined that I would spend. I would go to work early in the morning. I usually get into work somewhere between 5 and 6. And the first person through that door was going to get an earful from me after spending and just loaded with the word. I wanted to talk to somebody about it. And I do have a particular coworker that I always challenge. We bounce things back and forth. And so I went up to him early one morning, and I said, and now this is the same coworker that tells me he is a lock, all right, for being in heaven. He's going to be there. He's a lock. He's a shoe-in. And uh, he's going to be standing next to Jesus or St. Peter right at the gate. And uh, he's convinced of it. And uh, so we, we always, you know, talk about that. And so after reading this scripture, I had some more ammo, and I went up to him one morning, and I said, listen, brother, I said, I want to ask you something. I said, what, can you tell me one more time, what gives you the assurance of knowing that you're going to make it to the kingdom of God in heaven? And he said, well, he said, you know, I invite people over for barbecues. He said, I help people out whenever they need help. And the first one to go offer to cut somebody's grass 
somebody needs a few bucks, I got it. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, and I said, okay. I said, we've talked about this before. I said, but I'm reading a scripture right now out of three, uh, John 3, verses 1 to 10, where Jesus says that you have to be born again in order to enter into the kingdom of God. And there's no ands, ifs, or buts. He says it twice. And he makes this very amazing comparison about being born again because Nicodemus, who he's talking to, says, how can I go back into my mother's womb and come back out again? That's exactly the reason Jesus used that scenario because it's impossible to go back into your mother's womb, obviously. And Jesus was saying to us, it's impossible to become born again by doing works. And uh, I got an opportunity to minister with him on that, and he had a whole new perspective and said, you know, uh, you know, when you put it that way, he says, I realized I had nothing to say about my first birth, and then I pointed out to him, you have nothing to say about your second birth either. And uh, he was quite amazed, and uh, so um, I love this brother, all right, and uh, I'm really believing for his salvation. So before I begin, I want to say that I have had a head start, probably, on everyone in here in looking over this scripture, John 3, verses 1 to 10. So I am going to go a little bit slow this morning for more than one reason. I do have the unfortunate label on me as giving the shortest speech ever given at Christ Nation Church. One congregant actually said, I warmed up my car, I backed out of the driveway, and you were doing your closing. So um, I do have a goal in mind, and uh, I'm believing that uh, God's going to give me uh, more words to say today. Not that he didn't that day, all right, but you know, I'm believing for a little longer sermon today. Um, so um, if I lose you along the way, Okay, during this, just stay with me, because I promise you, as I get closer to the end, I'm, I'm going to bring it all to a close, and it's going to make sense. Let me pray before we begin, get into the Word. Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity. You're an amazing God. You're awesome. I pray, Lord, that you open hearts to receive your Word today. I pray, Lord, that you give me the ability to articulate the exact way that you showed it to me this week. I pray, God, that people will be touched and there will even be salvations through this message today. In Jesus' name, amen. What a wonderful, well-known text. Marvelous, evangelistic, and challenging passage that addresses all of mankind. The teacher here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. No man can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So I'm going to back up a little bit to John chapter 2, verse 23 where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, we. 
And I'm going to read 23 of the second chapter of John. It says, now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, he's talking about when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. So many, and Nicodemus is saying we, so the we he's, he's referring to probably other members, other Pharisees, uh, many of the people, and the signs he's talking about were the signs that Jesus, Jesus was doing during those feasts. He was opening up blind eyes. He was raising people that were lame, probably out, in, out of crutches, doing all kinds of miracles. So this is the first time, really, that the people in that day, the Pharisees, um, that they'd even seen any of these signs. It's been like, or in these miracles, it was like 400 years since the last prophets. And so we can go back all the way to um, Elijah and, and Elijah. And uh, so that's what Nicodemus was saying here. He comes to Jesus by night and says, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. It's an elite group of 71 that were higher up. They were in charge of making all the major decisions of the Jewish beliefs that day. He was considered uh, and very highly respected. I can only imagine that when these Pharisees and the members of the Sanhedrin would walk down the streets, that people would be nudging each other and say, hey, do you know who that is? That's Nicodemus. He's the teacher of Israel. So my point here is he carried a lot of weight. In Matthew 23, Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and warns of following their beliefs. He says they say one thing and they do another. They put heavy demands on you, which they don't even put on themselves. That was his whole point. Now, Jesus responds to Nicodemus. He responds to Nicodemus by making a statement to a question that Nicodemus did not even ask. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, answered Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, clearly, this passage, this portion of Scripture, cuts right to the heart of salvation through the process of regeneration. And just hold on to that word. We'll get back to it later. But it cuts right to the heart of salvation. And the analogy that Jesus uses comparing the first birth to being born again is brilliant. 
obviously we had no say in our first birth. And Jesus was saying that we have nothing to do with our second birth from above. The kingdom of God is entered only by being born again, being born from above. Apart from that, no one enters. And we have nothing to say about it. We have nothing to do with it. Whatever you accomplish morally, religiously, through traditions and works, it's worthless. It's exactly what Jesus was saying. Salvation is not gained by those that try harder, not those that live better. It's not gained by anything we do. The kingdom is only open to those born from above by the will of God and the power of God. So let's go back to that process of regeneration. I'm going to use a few scriptures here. I think Han's going to put them on, on the screen. In 1 Peter, it speaks of being born anew by God's great mercy. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm going to go to another scripture. James speaks of God bringing us forth by the word of truth. And that's found in James 1.18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits amongst his creatures. I'm, I'm sorry, amongst his creation. The next scripture I want to use, this is an amazing scripture. I, I never saw this one before, but it's so clear. It's Titus. He speaks to us of the washing of regeneration. Titus 3, verse 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That is so clear. It's amazing scripture. And one more in 2 Corinthians. It speaks of us being a new creation in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Regeneration enables the dead sinner to come to Christ and to believe and repent. Obviously, Nicodemus did not understand the regeneration process. Inside, he had no assurance that he belonged to God. And outside, he was extremely religious. Nicodemus was not born from above, and he knew that about himself. Now I'm going to go back to verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This is Jesus speaking. 
Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. It's so interesting to me, like right there in that verse, the flesh is the worst enemy of the spirit. Jesus gives the worst and the best right there. Everything that the flesh wants, the spirit doesn't. It's the biggest enemy. It's not the devil. It's not the world. It's our own flesh. And Jesus gives us that scenario right there. Jesus is saying, we are merely flesh, that is, merely human and spiritually dead at our first birth, but we are made spiritually alive by our second birth. 1 John 5 Verse 11 reads, And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So the life we get in the new birth from the Spirit, we get because the Spirit unites us to the Son of God, who is life. Amazing. This Holy Spirit's job is to regenerate our spirit, illuminate our spirit, make us come alive again, and immediately takes us to Jesus. That's his job. It's incredible. First John 5.1, it says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. In other words, we know we have been born of God, born again by the Spirit, here it is, in union with Jesus, when the Holy Spirit creates a new spiritual life in us, the simultaneous effect is seeing Jesus as beautiful, receiving him for who he is, and believing in him for his promises. There it is. To confirm this, in the Gospel of John one, so we're backing up a little bit, verses 12 to 13. I don't know if that's going to be on the screen, Han. Okay, great. Uh, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name, who were born, who were born, that means who were born again, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, everyone's with me this morning, right? Yes. Okay, good. In other words, God causes us to be born again with new spiritual life, and the simultaneous effect is that we see and receive Jesus for who he is and trust him with our lives. Again, the Holy Spirit works in our spirits, born, births us again, and we immediately receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's a, there's not really a, it, it happens right away. Whether we see it, it happens immediately. Hmm. Okay, now we come to verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
Jesus is comparing the work of the Spirit of God in the new birth to the way the wind moves and the way the wind causes effects in the world without being seen and without being controlled by us. Can any of you control the wind? Right. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. In verse 6, Jesus said, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The regenerated life that comes in the new birth comes through the Holy Spirit. In John 6, 63, it reads like this. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. So the new life that comes from the new birth is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is how the work of regeneration is done. We have a Greek philosopher sitting three rows from the front here. So I know if I'm wrong about this, I'm going to be corrected. It says, in Greek, the word for wind and the word for spirit are the same. Just give me a thumbs up, thumbs up Kristen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, we're good. So the word spirit and the word wind in Greek are really the same word. So the wind is being treated as a picture of the spirit. Okay? And Jesus gives us four things about the wind. Number one, it blows where it wishes. We can't make it blow any other place. It blows where it wishes. The Holy Spirit is free, moves about according to his will, not ours. As hard as we try. Number two, Jesus says, and you hear its sound. This means means that there are effects of the invisible wind. You cannot see it, but you know there is wind because of the sound or the pressure against your face. You can see the leaves blowing, the trees swaying, the waves across lakes. And so it is with the Spirit in regeneration. You cannot see him, but the effects are evident. Right? We know what the effects are of the Holy Spirit when he comes in and births us anew. Number three, Jesus says, you do not know where it comes from. This emphasizes you did nothing to cause the movement of the Spirit, and you do not control the movement of the Spirit. The Spirit works in ways we do not fully understand. And number four, Jesus says, you do not know where it goes. You cannot determine its origin, and you cannot determine his, his destination. The Spirit is free. He goes where he wills. Then Jesus makes the comparison with the Spirit's work very clear in verse 8. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
You have heard how the wind works. In this way, everyone who is born of the Spirit comes to being alive in Christ. The point of emphasizing the freedom of the wind in producing its effects is to make plain the freedom of the Spirit in producing people who are born again. Okay, we're all, we're all on the same page here, right? Good, good. So what verse 8 is teaching, we do not cause the Spirit to bring about new birth any more than we control the wind to blow. The decisive act of will in the new birth is not ours. The Spirit's will will be decisive. Our will moves in the moment of the new birth. That is when change happens in us. The main effect of the wind, the spirit, is that we are made alive spiritually, born again, born from above. Our will moves to receive Christ and to believe in Christ. Our wills move because the wind is blowing. We do not move first. Our wills are awakened and move toward Christ because the Spirit blows. He blows where He wills and He gives life to whom He wills. In verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And in verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? This is where God's sovereign and irresistible grace come in. The Holy Spirit is God's spirit, and therefore he's omnipotent and sovereign. He's irresistible and effective in his regenerating work. This doesn't mean that we don't resist him, because we do. What the sovereignty of grace and the sovereignty of the Spirit mean is that when God chooses, he will overcome the rebellion and resistance in our lives. That is really good news. That was good news for me, and I know it is for some of you. He makes Christ look so incredible that our resistance is broken and we freely come to him and receive him and believe him. Jesus says in John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So how will you respond to this? Again, Nicodemus, in verse 9, says, How can these things be? However, we see at the end of the Gospel of John, 19, verse 39, Nicodemus 
risks his life and spends his money to show his love of Jesus. Now listen, I'm going to just suggest a scenario because something happened to Nicodemus. I really believe it did. From the very beginning of John 3.1 to 1939, something happened. So I'm going to suggest a scenario. This isn't written in the Bible. I, it, this is a possibility something like this happened. Jesus, it's Nicodemus. I need to ask you about the scriptures. Jesus, it's Nicodemus. I'm seeking the truth about the scriptures. Yes, Jesus, it's me, Nicodemus. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles, the prophets, never laid out a roadmap to being born again. They only said, repent and believe. It's the Holy Spirit's job to illuminate our spirit and lead us to Christ. And immediately our spiritual ears and eyes are opened when that happened, is because God, in his mercy, in his supernatural, miracle-working power, in his sovereignty, has created a miracle in you. A wonderful pastor of a well-known church put it this way as I listened to him this week. He said, we contribute no more to our regeneration than Lazarus did to his resurrection. Lazarus was in the tomb. He was wrapped up. And Jesus said, come forth. And so it is today with anyone that feels that you have not been born again. Repent. Keep believing and ask God for his mercy on your life. I'd like to pray.